Now let's open our Bibles, your copy you brought with you, or your pew Bible, to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we will read verses 8 through 24. First Kings 17, beginning with verse 8. This is the word of God. May the Lord bless its reading and exposition. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she And he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, "'What have you against me, O man of God?' You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Many of the Lord's people on this Thanksgiving Day have little and have suffered a great deal, especially in the present economic situation that we find ourselves in in God's providence in our country and in our community. But we have the Lord and we have His promises, and the text before us I think you see is well suited to the day. Elijah had spoken God's word to idolatrous Ahab. God had fed him by ravens and given him cool water from the brook Cherith. The Lord controls nature, not Baal. It is the Lord who is in sovereign control, not Baal. 
The Lord is the covenant God of his people. He will protect his word to them in the prophet Elijah, and he will see that his promises come to fruition. But the Lord in control of the brook was also in control when the brook dried up. The Lord in his sovereign purpose has a plan to provide by some other means for his prophet and for his people and to bring his word to someone who needs it. The Lord will do that for you too. If he seems to no longer provide by the way in which he has in the past, he still has a plan to care for you. He's your covenant God. He loves you. He will not forsake you. You are still his child. And it would be no problem for the Lord to provide water for the prophet here, simply to continue the water from the brook, none whatsoever. But God had a different plan. And the Lord in his providence wanted Elijah to go to a different place and to a different person. The first thing we see as we come to this text is the widow and her need. And here we learn that God's word is sufficient. God commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath, where he had also commanded a widow to provide for the needs of the prophet. Now, at this point, at this point in the text, we have no reason to believe that this woman is a worshiper of Jehovah. No reason to believe that she knows the Lord at all. The fact of the matter is, the Lord had chosen this lady. The Lord is moving in history to bring his truth to his people. That's still the case. When you listen to the news, as I did this morning, and you hear about the unrest in Egypt, what is the first thing to come to your mind? I will tell you what came to mind. The Lord is working in all of this unrest to open a door for the gospel. He has a people there, and in one way or another, he plans to bring his word to people who need to hear it. God is still doing that. He did it then. He will do it until Christ comes again. Do you remember that the Lord Jesus referenced this text in Luke's gospel in chapter 4? And Luke 24, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And so there were many widows who were in need. But God had chosen this one, this woman, this Gentile woman, rather than even women and widows in Israel, to be the recipients of his promise and the recipients of his word. This indeed is electing grace. And so the Lord would have the prophet fed by the poorest of the poor. And she was gathering sticks, according to this text, to have a last little meal. And then she expected that she would die with her starving son. And in this setting, God will show the power of the word of his grace and his sovereignty over all things. So here she is, this widow. She's dying. And the prophet asks her to provide for him. Is this selfish? No, it is not selfish because the Lord had told him to do this. God had promised that he would meet his needs and that he also should require this of her. If the Lord was to provide for Elijah through this, the Lord will also provide for the woman to provide for the prophet so that the prophet may preach the word of the Lord. And so in verses 13 and 14 of this text, Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, 
and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. What is the prophet doing by this? He is saying, this is what God says, this is his word, this is his promise, and calling her to faith in the promise of God. Do you have promises from God? Well, people of God, if you read your Bible, you know that you do. And as we come to the Lord's table once a month, or some of us almost weekly at Vespers, you know that you have promises. The promises of God just cluster at that time, do they not? When we come and take the bread and we take the cup, we know that the word of the Lord is saying to us, I condescend to your weakness to show that my son's blood will actually save you from your sin, that my son's blood is effectual, that Jesus is raised from the dead, that you also will be raised from the dead, that I will give you in your life all that is needed for a life of godliness. I will bring you to your appointed end, to heaven itself. All of those promises and many more we have as the people of God. Do you dwell upon them? Do you receive them by faith? Well, that's what the prophet is doing, calling for faith in the promise of God. Faith in God's promises says, I am totally insufficient, but I know that the Lord is completely sufficient. The Dutch theologian S.G. de Graaf says, what she could see and touch, she surrendered for what she did not yet see. Now that's faith, because God says so in Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so in verse 15, she went and did as Elijah said. That means she has saving faith. She is actually believing the word. She has embraced for herself the promise of God. One commentator says beautifully, It must have seemed to the widow that she was giving up so very much to honor the word of God, but she was really only giving up a tiny bit of meal and oil. It was all she had, but it was temporary and perishing. And by giving it up in obedience to God, she received that which was lasting. In like manner, the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we give ourselves up to it totally so that we may receive that life which is eternal. And the result we see in verse 16. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The Lord kept his promise. The Lord keeps his promises to the people purchased by Christ's own blood. Now, were we to stop there, we would miss something very, very great about the word of God. And so the second thing we want to see is the widow and her son. We have seen that the word of God is sufficient, but here we also see that the word of God is life-giving. The scene we know in verses 17 and 18 is that the child is ill and she cries out to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sins? My son is dying or dead. Her hopes are dashed. She has an erroneous theology at this point. Somehow she believes that uh, the Lord, knowing the Lord, embracing his promise, believing the prophet, would mean no troubles for her, or at least not trouble like this. How does such a view take hold in the hearts of the people of God? When we read the Bible frequently, and we see on every page that the Lord does send in his sovereignty trouble to his people in order that he might reveal himself to us and that we might be the recipients of the promise of his word. By coming up with our own idea of God rather than what he reveals about himself is the only answer I have to the question. 
The flour and oil continue, but the widow's son is sick and dies. Now, you remember back in verses 13 and 14, it seems that it was the Lord's promise that he was going to provide for her and her son, and that they would continue on, that the Lord would preserve them, and yet here the son dies. Once again, we see something important, that the ways of the Lord sometimes seem to contradict his promises. In verse 18, when she says, what have you against me, O man of God? Is the Lord remembering some sin against me? Why else would I endure such a test? The Lord really, in love, is bringing hardship into her life in order to demonstrate something even greater about the promise of his word. And so Elijah knows that the Lord is a promise-keeping God. God had promised to sustain them until the drought ended, and the prophet carried the child into the prophet's chamber, places his own lifeless body over the child as he placed the child on the bed. And he prays fervently, having stretched himself on the child three times, as if if the prophet would give his own life for the boy. You know, there was a prophet who came, who also is our priest and our king, who did give his life for another. God's own word of sovereign grace spreads over us and gives us life. Because Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king, gave his life for us. And so there is Elijah. How to pray. Lord, your glory, your own honor is at stake. You promised to preserve these, your people. And three times he stretched himself over the child in prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How strange and mysterious is prayer, isn't it, people of God? In the midst of some of your suffering, as some of you are enduring many trials and hardships, some of which are economic, and you are seeking the Lord in prayer, do you know and understand that the Lord has ordained prayer and His sovereign decree as a part of His plan to fulfill His sovereign will? Do you understand that when you pray, you are entering into the flow of God's eternal counsel to save and sustain His people? That He delights in the prayers of His people? That your prayers have a part to play in the fulfillment of the extension of his gospel in his world. And so the answer to prayer, in verse 22, we read, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And the woman is now for sure a believer in the God of promise. Don't miss verse 24. Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And is true. This woman believes in the God of the Bible. Now that brings us to another point. We have seen that God's word is sufficient. We have seen that the word of God is life-giving. But there's one other thing briefly to see. We also need to look at the woman and her environment. And to see that the word of God knows no bounds. Where is the prophet? He's in Zarephath in Sidon. Where is that? It is in the midst, the very hub of Baal worship. It's Gentile territory. It is pagan land. Here the prophet is in the midst of Baal worshipers speaking the word of God to a Gentile woman. Why? Because God's word knows no bounds. Because God's word extends to the Gentiles in anticipation of the new covenant era in which you and I now live. Because God's word is powerful and Baal is impotent. 
The prophet can come there and speak the word of the Lord. It is the Lord who controls all things. Baal worshipers attribute these things to Baal, but it is the Lord. And the Lord withholds the rain. The Lord extends the oil and the meal. And the Lord brings the dead to life, not Baal. And so the Lord is using his word in an unusual place, in an unusual way, in an unusual time, with an unusual setting, an unusual woman. God is at work with his word when and where and how he pleases in ways that you and I cannot predict, cannot see, and cannot understand. We catch a glimpse of the truth of God's incomprehensibility in this text, do we not? We see God's work of electing grace extending beyond the reach of Israel's borders. God will save his people. Indeed, the woman, a Gentile, a Baal worshiper, comes to know the Lord. What a rebuke to Israel, who has known such privileges and has not believed the word of promise. But why should God's true people ever despair? Doesn't he raise the dead? Doesn't he keep his word? Doesn't he fulfill his promise? And here we see a pointer to a greater resurrection that was yet to come when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day and promised that he would save you and me from our sins. So on this Thanksgiving Day, some of us have little. Some of us are pouring out our hearts to God in prayer because of worry and concern and anxiety, and God is in it. Some of us have much. And God is in that too. But some of us have much, some of us have little, but we believe that the Lord is in it all. We have his word, we have his promise, we have fellowship with the risen Lord. So, some of us have much, but we who believe in Jesus have much, even when we have little. We have something the world cannot take from us. May the Lord bless this brief exposition of his word on this Thanksgiving morning. And people of God, take the word of his promise way down deep into your heart.